What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rose, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Dew Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats. I'm Sean Smith, joined as always by Derek Terry. Derek, how are you today? Doing well, Sean. Um, hanging in there for a, a loss where I don't know if, you know, like where do we go back to now? <laughs> We're feeling good about this team, it seemed like, and now it's back to, well, maybe not. <laughs> Definitely not back to how you, how everyone felt during one and six, but it definitely yeah. takes a step back. Just given the honestly that they they just weren't even competitive. Like at any point last night, did you feel maybe there in the second half you're like okay, and you texted me you said this is where they need to make their run. Like if After they're going the to they're gonna make a move, right now is the time to do it. And then they kind of I, I don't know. I think Alabama, honestly, they got away with a walk on that possession, if I'm not mistaken, and then it ended up not getting called, and then they get a three-point play. Right. And it kind of just felt like, Derek, at that point, that just Kentucky just didn't have it in them last night to pull that win out. And, you know, we talked about early in the season how Richmond was a bad matchup for Kentucky in game two. Alabama's style of play compared to how Kentucky plays it almost feels like it's a bad matchup, whether it's game two, game 10, game 15. Just that style of play, if they're hitting that many threes and then Kentucky not being able to guard the basketball at all, I mean, it was a recipe for disaster. I mean, and, and we'll, we'll get into it. I mean, they put up 65 points. There's a lot to a lot to be concerned about and break down. Yeah, and this is, the, this is one game after Auburn put 90 up uh, on Alabama. No, it was um... – I, I was far from the only person who tweeted this. As a matter of fact, somebody put up a whole a whole ass graphic of uh, every single shot that was taken, and I think it was titled like 1989 basketball versus 2021. That was about as clear of evidence as I can remember watching in a basketball game, where it was like so contrasting in how the two teams wanted to play. Kentucky, it seemed like even in transition, was absolutely committed to getting a paint touch before anything else. <laughs> Or a throw, throwing it down to the block. To, yeah, yeah, I mean, not driving to the lane. It was Kentucky's down. Kentucky's down fifteen to twenty points for most of the second half, and like they're not doing anything unless it's going down to the post first. And Keon Brooks has taken a contested. Like it was, uh, I say Keon. It was all those guys. Like whether it was Isaiah getting a touch, Sar. Um, I mean, they felt like they had to force feed Sar there at the beginning of the game, and committed like four or five turnovers alone just trying to get him the trying to give him the ball. In the post. Well, and Cal explained it after the game. I don't remember the exact quote, but he was more or less, I think the question. We did some good things there, is what he said, or something Well, and like he's that. also admitting, which he's finally doing it now, after he said that he thought this was a good shooting team, that they suck at shooting the ball. So he's saying, how many threes do we take? 18. How many do we make? Four. So he's saying, why do we need to shoot 25 to make six? Like, his his whole idea was. Which made no sense, by the way. What? <laughs> It, which makes no sense, by the way. If, if you hit four of eighteen, uh, I don't know how that math shakes out to be to six of seven. twenty-five. But yeah, it certainly it certainly doesn't go go that way when he said it. Last Either night. way, um, that that's kind of where I am on this. Is like out, the way Alabama played was so much more fun to watch. And I, and I personally, I mean, you tell me what you think. You actually coach basketball, like to me, much much more difficult to defend than what Kentucky was trying to do. Perhaps I'm wrong on that. But it, it, it certainly did feel like the future, or maybe the, the current, the current reality of college basketball versus an older type philosophy. And so where I kind of lean on that is I'm not like in Cal's. I'll say in Cal's defense for his rationale. Yeah, I don't totally disagree. From what we've seen, this probably is not the kind of team you want to be see, seeing shoot tons and tons of threes. However, he recruited this like it's a. It's a, just a mess of a roster construction, pretty much. 
So he's probably doing what he feels is absolutely best for them to win games. But if if Alabama – and Alabama's a good school. I mean, I wouldn't mind going to college at Alabama to play some kind of sport. Like, if Alabama can get those kind of kids who can play like that, if Cal would kind of adopt a more modern style, Kentucky would be really, really scary. But it seems like he's more in tune where he's just going to – recruit a certain group of guys and, and try to find a way to make it work. And, and a year like this, it's I don't know. I thought last night was pretty sobering, though. Yeah, and, and two, I'll, I'll say this. The game of basketball has significantly changed in the last few years. Uh, you watch what the, the Golden State Warriors, you know, the change it made in the NBA, and you see how that's kind of played out across the league now. And then you look at college basketball – and we just had the comment a week ago that Kentucky's offense is archaic, and you saw that last night. I mean, it's it's accurate. Uh, Alabama is shooting tr- threes in transition and getting to the lane. Kentucky's trying to post out of transition. Two completely different styles of basketball. And, it, I mean, it's been good to John Calipari, but here's when it's good, Derek. It's when they have an elite post presence and they have an elite guard that can get by somebody and get to the rack. And they don't have either one of those on this roster right now. Olivier Saar... It goes back to what Cal said all preseason. He said early in the season, if you don't have a post presence, you're a fraud. Right now, it feels like Kentucky's trying to force a post presence. And I just don't know if they have that on this roster, especially, I mean, Alabama was getting really physical with Kentucky when Kentucky was on offense. Uh, they were pushing Kentucky out, and Kentucky was having to start its post 15 feet off the from the basket. And then nothing came easy uh, for this team. But you look at this, too. Alabama's style is fun, but I've always been one of these these people that will tell you I'm not sure if that style wins an NCAA tournament if you're just living and dying by the three. Now, they shot 33s, but you know what else they did to Kentucky? They beat them in the points in the paint. Yeah, they, yeah that's what I was going to say. They got so, the so that <laughs> style right there, that, that style right they had 32 points in the paint, Alabama did to Kentucky's 22. So, yeah, they hit 14 threes, but it's not like that that's all that they got. They also got to the basket and got points in the paint, so it was it was a balance. Uh, it just opens up the floor when you play that way, and it's it's more of a it's not it's a it's not a four star five star type recruiting thing. It's a going and getting skills. It's going and getting players who have that particular skill set instead of rather rather than athletes. Kentucky's loaded with athletes. Alabama's loaded with shooters, and you saw it last night too. In the second half, Kentucky. Not a sure. Alabama hit four threes in the second half. Kentucky couldn't guard the basketball. They had nobody that could keep the basketball in front of them. I just sent you the shot chart. Maybe you've seen that already. Maybe you haven't. You'll look at Alabama. Um, it, it's like I think what the Rockets Yikes. wanted when they started. Well, when the Rockets, I, I believe I have the right team right. When the Houston Rockets, basically their philosophy was only to shoot threes or good shots like in the paint. Look at that shot chart, Sean. Not a single deep two, unless the one make – I believe it was still three. There might have been a couple in the, in the corner that might have been considered deep twos. And it is all three-point shots or shots in the paint. There's nothing on the wing at all. Nothing. Yeah, it's I mean, or, or some corner, deep ones. It's corner top of the key with that pick and pop that they were running or something in the paint getting to the rim. And all of that, just when you look at that, it screams transition. And it also is reflected that Kentucky could not guard the basketball. When you look, yeah. just looking at the shot, the shot chart, because all the all the activity in the paint, and then guys helping off the corner, guys being forced to help, and then giving up wide open jump shots. It's it's almost like, I thought the most concerning thing to me was in the first half when it was like Kentucky didn't even look at the scouting report going into this game. Uh, yeah, clearly, clearly the idea and the plan was to run them off the three point line. Derek, you had guys who were over helping on pick and pops and over helping on drives. And just leaving shooters, they weren't even contested threes. And if if you leave anybody that can shoot at least a little bit, they're going to hit threes on you wide open in college basketball, unless it's Kentucky. Yeah. And I, I said this to you. I told you this last night. I don't know where this would have put. If you, you guys have probably heard me if you listen to our podcast long enough. If you're a new listener, we're happy to have you here. You'll find out I talk a lot about recruiting rankings. and football, I'll talk about the composite team talent, which – accumulates all the talent from high school, whatever they were ranked, and puts it on the team. Well, basketball, we don't do that at 24-7, but you can still see on the roster where kids are rated. And I told you this last night, Sean, like, 
I know Alabama's first in the SEC now. I don't know how much people have paid attention to what Alabama's done. They have one five-star who, who did not play, by the way, but also seven four-stars. Yeah. Like, that is a talented roster. I don't know where that would put them nationally. I would imagine top – I don't know, top 20-ish probably. I'm guessing not too many teams have that. Like, maybe they do. Maybe I'm totally wrong. But, like, it's a pretty good roster. And then that doesn't even take into account a kid like Jordan Bruner, who unfortunately got hurt last night, but one of the top grad transfer pickups. So this is a good team, a good experience team too. And, I mean, Kentucky just could not guard them. John Petty, a guy who I've first – actually the only EYBL event I ever covered was T.J. Walker when I worked at Rivals back in, I think, 2016 in the spring, five years ago almost. And he was considered a top Kentucky target at that point. Well, he came back for a senior year, and he torched Kentucky last night. And I really like that shackle for a kid as well, Sean at Alabama. I liked him a lot last year. Left-handed kid out of California who uh, I think was originally a um, – I know he was. I believe he was a Avery Johnson recruit. That's a pretty good team. And Kentucky's going to see them again here in a few weeks on the road. Yeah. Yeah. So whatever whatever they think they need to do, you got a couple weeks to fix it or else you're going to get drilled again. I mean, Sean, they didn't – they are basically towards the end of that game, maybe the last 10 minutes or more. They didn't even have three of the regular starters playing in a 20-piece Kentucky. Cool. Gave UK its worst home loss under Cal. I mean, a thorough beat. Yeah, and, and the worst loss since 1988 when Indiana beat them at Rupp. So, I mean, it's just – it's this is a team, Derek, that they've made strides. They made strides during that three-game winning streak. I mean, it led me to say that had they gotten a win last night, I thought that they could fight their way back into top 25. I mean, given the schedule, you could look at it and see that they have some winnable games coming up. Last night should have been a winnable game. You would just looking at it on paper and everything. I mean, especially the, given what Kentucky had done the three games prior. But then here's where it comes down to it: Kentucky's not going to execute well enough to play in the half court. If you kind of muck it up there in the half court and slow and make them have to execute, and you play disciplined defense like Alabama did last night, Kentucky's going to struggle. I mean, they were so physical on everything. They were physical at the point of attack. They were physical in the post. They were physical off the bounce. They didn't let Kentucky get in the lane. Uh, Devin Askew, so many times I watched him, he would try to get somewhere, and then just it would just be bumped off their, their route. I mean, it just – Alabama was physical. Kentucky folded, and they, they didn't fight back, Derek. I think even John Calipari mentioned that in the post game that he was kind of disappointed that they didn't match Alabama's physicality. And they just let Alabama dictated all aspects of that game, offensively and defensively. Uh, the one bright spot for Kentucky, I thought, was Isaiah Jackson. I thought that, you know, it was his first double-figure game. Now, most of that was at the free-throw line. He did have seven blocks. Um, so I thought that was a positive. But other than that, I mean, turnovers come back again. But how many turnovers were post-entry passes that they just couldn't even get a post-entry pass? And, and all that had to do with Alabama was being physical and guys couldn't hold their post. I mean, there was at least six or seven turnovers come from that alone, I think. It was pretty brutal. Um, I pulled up the defensive analytics. I hadn't looked at them since, I think, the second game of the year. And uh, it was a brutal night <laughs> defensively for basically everybody besides three players. And this is going off these analytics. Um Maybe people who watch the game would, would look at it and say differently. But Jacob Toppin, I tweeted this earlier, he had a 111.7 defensive rating. And for defensive rating, in case you don't know, people listening, the lower the number, the better on this. So I don't know technically what a, a good average is. But, for example, the highest rated defensive rating for Kentucky was 139, Devin Askew. So Toppin's, you know, 28 points better in that category. Toppin had a 68% stop rate. So going by these numbers, Sean, he had a good night defensively. He didn't give you much offensively, but that's okay. He rebounded the ball fairly well, had six rebounds in 24 minutes. Um, perhaps that's his role. Uh, but another guy, Isaiah Jackson was second. You're talking about him. It's offensive game. He was 117, had a few blocks, had a couple steals, I think. Yeah, he had two steals. He had yeah, seven, seven blocks last blocks. night, Sean. Yeah, seven yeah. blocks. Uh, that's big night. That, that he that he's kind of if he can continue to play more minutes like last night he played twenty three. Uh, there's been games where he didn't even get to twenty. But 
just looking at what they done last night, Derek, the thing that just really, I guess it's just an alarm going off in my head. It, actually, I, my head is actually hurting right now, now that we're sitting here. So just thinking about this, it would be different if that Alabama team was elite defensively. But right. they just gave up 90 points to Auburn three days before Kentucky couldn't even score 66 on them at Rupp Arena. That's concerning. But it also goes back to this team, they need to be out in transition. They need an up-tempo style of play. That's why they played so well at Florida. Florida was running up and down the floor, and Kentucky was able to run up and down the floor, and it wasn't as much just in the half-court execution. This team is going to struggle to execute in the half-court. They don't have a true post presence. They don't have an elite guard right now on the roster that can get to the rim. I mean, think about think about Kentucky's best teams. Even the teams that didn't shoot the ball well, what'd they have? Go go back to 2009, 2010. That team didn't have elite shooters. It had DeMarcus Cousins, who was elite on the block, and it had John Wall, Eric Butts, had those elite guards who could get to the rim. This team doesn't have any of that. It doesn't have the, the guy that can just blow by you like a De'Aaron Fox. It doesn't even have a Bam Adebayo that they can throw it to on the block and get consistent points. Like if, if you're struggling and you're going through a stretch where you're 0-4 field goals and you don't have anybody you can just say, hey, go post and let's get a basket to get us going, I think they're missing that. And then there was one play last night too where there was a deflection or something or a long rebound and Devin Askew had the ball at the U.K. logo in the middle of the floor and there was one Alabama defender back. And he had no burst, Derek, to turn that into a transition opportunity and he peeled out and just waited for Kentucky to set off. It's no knock on Askew. That's not his strength. But that right there showed me, I was like, man, that is where a an Ashton Hagens or a Tyrese Maxey just back last year would have taken off, and that would have been an opportunity at the rim where Kentucky could have got a transition basket. Kentucky doesn't have that right now. Maybe Terrence Clark is that guy when he's healthy, but right now they just don't have that. And I, I think that, that they're missing th- that catalyst, that piece that can just go and just make plays when things aren't going well. And it's just hard to watch right now when they have to grind it out in the half court. And that's that's honestly, you could probably go back and look at three or four, maybe five seasons of the John Calipari era and think that half court execution and offensive execution in the half court, you have to do that to win a national championship. And you could probably look back at least four or five times and say that's why they didn't win one. Yeah, it's a great point you make. <laughs> When there was a lineup at one point last night, I can't remember who the two bigs were, but it was Allen, Askew, and Boston. I told you, theoretically, this should be a lineup you can score with. Theoretically. At least make some shots with. Sean, it was another night of – I'll go ahead and throw some criticisms at all three of those guys I just mentioned, actually. You talk about Askew. I like his – I mean, he scored the first six points. I like his mid-range game. I think, actually, by next year, towards the end of next season, I think he'll actually be a pretty good – offensive player Boston is far I mean it's obvious at this point he is like far too physically weak he is to get by anybody and it, it appears he has really either he can't get separation right now or he has no confidence on his jumper so like he's not giving you anything because he's not taking too many jumpers and he can't get to the rim it's a lot of so, flash. it's a lot of flash when he tries to get to the rim too it's like yeah. as small as he is body size wise why is he going up and trying to scoop everything why is he not going up with two hands and finishing strong through contact. I mean, he's he's scooping layups with in 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 like in traffic. It just it doesn't make any sense to me. When I said a criticism for well, hold on, let me finish what I'm saying on Boston. Boston and Askew also had really bad defensive nights. Going by this, Askew's stop rate was only 22 percent. He played a lot of minutes. Beat off the Boston. Yeah, Boston was 32 percent. So his was. Mm, his defensive rating was pretty high, but it wasn't – it was towards the bottom of the team. Like, Askew had the worst night on paper going by his analytics. Where's Mance Dante? had a rough night, too. Where's Dante? So Getting to Dante. Dante actually was the third-best defender going off this. 57% stop rate, had a 118 uh, defensive rating. And if you remember, Toppin was 111, Jackson was 117. So, Allen was, Allen was right there with Jackson. However, with Allen's offensive game, I think we've seen him enough now. And this is not a bad thing. I believe it's wise that he is used pretty much as a kind of a spot-up shooter. Yeah. Because from what I've seen of him trying to create it on his own, he doesn't seem to really have that kind of style in it either. I like running him off picks, trying to get him looks. But – and I don't want to try to change my tune on him too much because I really do believe in a couple of years he could be a really, really great scorer. 
for now, I don't think he's a – tell me what you think. I don't think he's a complete offensive player. He's not. He's, uh, his ball fake and everything is super slow. He looks a little, like, robotic to me, I guess, yeah. is when he's out there. And you could tell he was – he had four turnovers. He had the really bad travel where he was just bringing up the floor about to throw it and just, and just walked with it. Yeah. Maybe more minutes will help that. I'm sure it will. That but, was encouraging, though, that Cal kept playing him, that he didn't just take him out because yeah, he, he, he really did, yeah. bad passes there. One was a walk, and then he made a poor entry pass to the post. Well, I think Cal knew they needed the offense last night. He did. And uh, Just looking at Dante, though – his, he has a quick release, which helps a ton, which he's, he's not the most explosive. He's not the fastest, but he has a quick release, Derek, which helps him get off, you know, three-pointers in, you know, a timely manner and uh, contested threes and things like that. I mean, it, it just give him a give him a – just a seam, and he's going to release it. But then again, he's passing up some looks that just doesn't make sense to me. Like, Cal is clearly wanting him on the floor to shoot the three, but last night, early in the first half, he ball fakes – and instead of it being a three, it became one step inside the three-point line. It became a long two that he missed. That's the worst shot in basketball is on the line or a step inside. You can, like, why shoot that when you can take a step back and get three points for it? I mean, it's pretty much the same shot. Uh, but, I mean, he's still playing. He, Cal is still committed to playing him. I don't think that that's going to change. I think that you're going to continue seeing that. Rebounded well, too. He did. He he seems like he's he's in the right spot defensively now. Like, he's chasing down rebounds. He's making plays. Um, Cal said it last night. Nobody was really good. I, th- I thought Isaiah Jackson was good. I'm sure Cal probably, if they did watch any film, probably saw that he did some good things. But Lance Ware didn't get minutes last night. He was the guy that was kind of left out probably, of a game where yeah. they were really physical with him. Probably worth pointing out, too. And I think we we were surprised, at least I was. I guess I shouldn't speak for you. I think you were, too, though. Pretty surprised that Keon played as well as he did at Florida because that rust looked like it was definitely there last night. Um, he he might have, going by the you know ratings and things like that, he might have had the worst night out of anybody, well, honestly. And he didn't – you know, he still got to 10 points, but he was 4 for 12. You know, didn't it wasn't a great night for him. But, again, this is a second game back from not playing in basically a year. Like, it's not – that. Sh- I would definitely keep him in the starting lineup because – this team just makes the most sense, I think, to want to have Keon at the four with what they're going to do. I, I mean, you got to let him work through some of his struggles. Um, and two, know, I, I want to see how he looks two weeks from now when they play Alabama again when he's well, got some more games one, under his belt. One interesting note on Keon, and he said this on uh, BBN Tonight. I think it was – I don't know if it was Sunday night, Monday night, or what. It was definitely before yesterday. And he was talking about how sore he was after the Florida game. Well, he hadn't he hadn't played. He hadn't gone through anything. Uh, so obviously, Derek. I mean, it's going to take him a while to get back in rhythm of playing, treatment after games, going back out there playing again. Because we don't know the extent of what that injury exactly was, or if he's even a hundred percent. We just know that he's cleared to play. So, like you said, I'm going to give him a couple of weeks. And two, we should also add this into there, Derek. I'm not using that as isn't. I'm not using this as an excuse. But that team had a it had a tough day yesterday with the passing of Ben Jordan. Keon Brooks was a teammate of Ben's. Dante Allen, Sam Payne, Riley Welch, Brennan Canada. I mean, those guys were close with Ben. I, I told this uh, I told this story last night that there were a couple of times last year after I'd finished my workup and stuff at Rupp Arena, then we'd go out to dinner a couple of different places. I was at, Dante Allen was at dinner with Ben Jordan, just those two. So and and not and now BJ Boston and all these other guys they didn't know who Ben Jordan was but they know who Dante Allen is they know who Keon Brooks is and if they see them having a hard time it's going to bring down the mood for the entire locker room and the coaching staff. I mean yesterday was a hard day so I'm I'm wanting to give Keon Brooks and some of them a pass for how they played I don't I don't want to really evaluate them on last night's game just given how rough that day was and it kind of put it in per, into perspective at the end of the game when as soon as the loss is over it's the worst loss of the Calipari era at home, and then the Ben Jordan's face is on the Jumbotron at midcourt after it's all over, and you kind of think, okay, sure, tonight sucked, but there, there's a lot bigger things than what just happened at this basketball game. Yeah, terribly sad story um, with Ben passing away. It, it has been a brutal year for, well, I say year. I know, the, I know the calendar changed, but going back since about last May or June, it has just been a terrible streak for the UK athletic department. I mean, between Oates, Schlarman, and now Ben Jordan. 
it's been hard over there, and uh, you're, you're exactly right. There, there were. I mean, you think about the coaches, everybody besides Jay Lucas and Bruiser Flint obviously knew Ben well, some of those players. Um, really selfless thing he did last year uh, to go help out the basketball team. And I'd never heard this story, but Cal said last night that he would beg not to on the games, <laughs> which I hadn't heard that um, before. But you're right, that, that should definitely – be be uh, mentioned because it was a hard day, and I, I believe his visitation is actually going on tonight as we record this. So I think Cal said a few of those guys were going to go to his visitation. So that's a good point. You look at the schedule; they got these guys again pretty soon. Got Auburn coming up, a winnable game against Auburn. They're a little bit different now. They're not rated very high on Ken Palm, but they've played this whole season besides one game without Sharif Cooper. And I believe Justin Powell has been hurt at times as well. So I don't know what they're going to look like come Saturday when Kentucky goes down there, but that's always a tough game. And it's another team, Sean, that can score, that is going to be able to get to the rim, and they're going to shoot a lot of threes. So they're young as well, like Kentucky, but it's another challenge coming up. It is. It's a, it's a big-time challenge. I'll actually be there Saturday. That's the last road game I'm doing for a while. I, I think I'll, I'll probably do Alabama, just given – that Alabama looks like the best team in the league right now, and then we'll kind of assess how much better Kentucky's gotten from last night until two weeks from now. This is three games coming up right now, Derek, that if Kentucky's truly different, they can't go on a losing streak here and drop two straight. Right. Like, if you can handle a loss, you can handle three and one if it ends up being five and two, six and one here in another week. It's a game at Auburn. It's a home, It's an away game at Georgia and then it's a home game versus LSU. You need all three of them, of these next three coming up. They do. I mean, that loss hurt them last night, man. I think on Ken Palm now, they've dropped back down to 11 and 14 for the season. So, I mean, it's looking tough again. I mean, you got to beat Auburn and Georgia because, like you said, you got you got a string of three straight top 25 opponents after that. Actually take it a step further. After the Georgia game, they have one, two, three, four, five, five out of their next uh, six games. Well, we're kind of twenty-six opponents. We're kind of living in that time with this team where, after the three-game winning streak, you start to say, "Okay, this is an NCAA tournament team." As long as they put themselves in position to be an NCAA tournament team, but then after last night, I mean, they're four and seven. Yeah, they're 3-1 in the SEC, but as of right now, they're not an NCAA tournament team. Like, they're not – if the bracket were released today, they wouldn't be a part of it. Neither would Duke. So, when you look at those things, I mean, it kind of makes you concerned because at some point, when we get into February, you don't want to be sitting here saying they're an NCAA tournament team. Oh, now they're not an NCAA tournament team because then that means you're you're firmly on the bubble. And that's where you don't want to be, especially when you don't have anything to show for other than a win at Florida right now. Uh, the win at Mississippi State, but as far as nothing in the, nothing in the non-conference, if Kentucky loses this game Saturday, I mean it's it's to the point that what dirt they did uncover, I mean it's right piled back on top of them again. I think I saw in the net rate, or maybe is either Ken Palmer the net ratings, basically whatever they gained from the win of Florida, they lost right away by losing to Alabama last night in yeah. that fashion. I mean that's pretty concerning to me, man. That that was not an Alabama team at full strength. And Kentucky, let's just be real, they weren't really competitive last yeah. night. That, that's pretty concerning. I mean, maybe this is just going to be a team that's going to be hit or miss. I mean, well, I did I guess, say. Against certain teams, they should match up better. They might be able to overwhelm some teams still in this league. We'll see what they learned when they go down to Alabama on the 26th. You know, it's less than two I, weeks when they play again. I did say, I think it was on the Florida postgame show, I don't know if you remember me saying this or not. I said Kentucky's going to revert at some point, and and they, I just didn't know that it would. Be, I just didn't know that it would be two days later, but they they certainly reverted. There's a couple of things though that stand out to me about John Calipari. Well, one thing for sure stands out to me about his post game is he was talking about them being a poor shooting team, and you know what he followed it with? Maybe he goes, maybe we're not a good three point shooting team, and he followed it with. And that's okay. No, it's not. It, it's not okay. It's not okay at all. You don't want to hear John Calipari say, and that's okay. Because if he says, and that's okay, 
it's it falls right back into that line of all those mailbag questions that we got the other day about Cal's stubbornness. It's never going to change if he keeps saying that's okay. It's not okay. I think he needs more games like last night to be fully convinced that it might be time to embrace something different. And you're right. Maybe that style exactly the way Alabama played. Maybe you're right. Maybe it is too volatile that it's too hit or miss, that if you have one bad night shooting, you're, you're out of the tournament. But when, but when you dominate points in the paint, too. I yeah, mean, but, yeah, but you look at, I mean, like Villanova's, you know, they played that same kind of style where it's a bunch of threes. You, you have your team full of shooters that are hard to guard. You can space the floor. Guys can drive. Sean, there was a play last night, and I texted you this, and I don't know how it ended up to be. I think someone screwed up. At some point on the on the wing right in front of Kentucky's bench, Jacob Toppin and Dante Allen ended up right on top of each other. Well, if you remember. Know, what is going on? If you remember back early in the season when I was getting those screen grabs and stuff from games and I was tweeting them out and you, you saw it, there would be two people standing inside of five feet of one another. And it's I mean, just terrible spacing. spacing. They, the, the, the floor isn't spaced properly at all. And it's hard to watch right now. It's just uh, they looked really like – At a certain point last night their best offense became – Thrown to the post, somebody throwing a shot up, and someone crashing the boards. They could use their length on the boards to get some putbacks. I can think of several putbacks that they had last night. Now we've seen Cal teams in the past do that. I think the 2000, I think the Julius Randle team was one of the best offensive rebounding teams in the country when they had such a big lineup, guys who could crash the boards. Like that's all right. I mean, we've seen LSU a few years ago it was the same way. The LSU team with Tremont Waters. Um, uh, Nas Reed, that's the name I was trying to think of. Darius Days, like guys like that, like maybe great, not a great shooting team, but they beat Kentucky and Rupp because they could crash the boards. They could just dominate the glass, and that is a style. But in this day and age of college basketball, it it's a little pathetic, quite frankly. That you have a team that is consistently a bad three point shooting team. They've had a couple of games where it's not been as bad, but just look at the points put up and losses, Sean. Sixty four. 62, 63, 63, 59, 65. You're not even breaking 70 points my, in some of these games. I told you last night when I was sitting there, my middle school basketball team, that's seventh and eighth grade, scored 69 points in a 24-minute game Saturday morning. I mean, what? Like, and, and this team can't even can't even get to 70 consistently. Here was the quote, though, Derek, and, I mean, it's it's obviously he was asked about – Kentucky taking 18 threes, Alabama taking 30, Kentucky hitting four. He said, uh, again, hold on, four for 18 from the three means, yeah, maybe you're not a good, maybe you're not a three-point shooting team, but that's okay. It's not okay. Like, I'm, I'm going to keep coming back to it's not okay. Like, that, that, those three words just stood out to me from the entire presser. And then he goes into, on the other side of it, is in the first half, they made 10. They were either uncontested or we were late getting to somebody. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about style of play here. Like we're yeah. not like effort, that's uh, who yeah. Alabama is. I don't care if you didn't execute the game plan. We're talking about style of play and just modernizing college basketball. I mean, what Alabama's doing right now is what basketball is in 2021. What Kentucky's doing is just getting left behind, and something has to change. I mean. I don't even know, but I will say this about their defensive effort last night. I was very surprised that Kentucky wasn't jump switching everything on the perimeter and kind of just making sure they were contesting jump shots early in the game if, if that was the game plan was to run them off the three-point line because they weren't good in their pick-and-roll coverage or anything. They were they were over-helping on pick-and-pops. I mean, that, that right there in the middle of the floor in that shot chart, at the, outside the top of the key, Alabama hit a ton of threes in that part of the floor, and it was just overhelping on everything. So which really surprised me because Cal's best defensive teams, they kind of switch everything. You saw it back in the day where they could switch one through five. They could switch ball screens with bigs. Uh, I think they have some guys like Isaiah Jackson who can do that, Jacob Toppin who can do that. It, it surprised me that they didn't jump switch a lot of things on the perimeter and try to make them take some tough twos. This is a little side note. I know – Alabama, I think, was one of the finalists for Isaiah Jackson. How do you think he would have fit on that team? Man, with all that spacing, <laughs> pretty well. Pretty well. 
I just thought that'd be an interesting fit for him, just thinking about him and that kind of. I hadn't even thought of that storyline last night. You're right. He had taken a lot of three. Like, I mean, I wouldn't say he took a lot. He, he was taking some deep jumpers at UK. He wasn't making them. I think he was one of those guys who was basically told not to shoot anymore <laughs> from out there. But at Alabama, I mean, the green light, I think, would have been much higher, unless he was just brutally bad. Nate Oates is but, fun, man. He is, and I, I'm not advocating for him to be the coach at Kentucky today. I mean, I'm not saying I know there was a thread on one of the message boards that was like, would you switch him for Cal right now? I'm not going to get into that debate. Um, but it's definitely a different style. It feels like an NBA-top style that they're running. And, of course, he was a great coach at Buffalo, had some of their best years they've ever had, <laughs> building off of what uh, Bobby Hurley did. And now he's he's getting to a place – they won't be going anywhere, man. They're going to lose some guys off this team, but they got the number one point guard in the country coming in next year, or one of the top guards. I guess I don't know if he's number one exactly, but a top ten player in J.D. Davison, and then they got two other four-stars committed. Like, he's going to done on the recruiting trail. He plays a fun style of basketball. You know, this league is just a little bit different, man. I watched Eric Musselman at Arkansas. They, they play a bit of a similar way. Just, a lot of teams just don't play the way Kentucky does anymore, I guess is what I'm trying to say. No, they don't. It's definitely you have a style of play there at Alabama where a lot of guys are want to go are going to want to go play in that style. Yeah. Uh, Kentucky, if they, I mean, it's 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 that's just how it is. When you look at the program at Kentucky, I don't necessarily think that anyone's going to Kentucky for the style of play. I think that they're going to Kentucky because it's Kentucky, and two, Kentucky gets guys to the NBA. If you if you compared the styles, I promise you, no five star recruit, four star recruit is going to say that's the style I want to play in because it's not fun. It it just sure it's one it's one cow a lot of games, but it, it's so reliant though on having an elite post presence and an elite guard. And right now they don't have either one of those pieces. They don't have an elite guy on the roster right now playing. That's the thing. I mean, you get to a certain point last night where they're getting down, you know they need to make a run. Like, who is going to go out there and just consistently get you a bucket? Like, they don't have anybody. I mean, I guess it turned into Isaiah Jackson last night. It's just crazy, man. Like, UK's down trying to make a comeback. They still use most of the shot clock, and they end up taking contested twos. And Alabama's getting the ball down the floor quick, working around, either driving to the hoop or taking a three-pointer in about 15 seconds. And it was just so contrast. Just, you just you just don't see it that obvious, I guess, most games. I mean, I've what covered tons and tons of Kentucky games, and that was about as obvious as I can ever remember. Two styles. What, it, what Alabama's style of play does is it puts pressure on you for the entire 30 seconds of the shot clock. I mean, they, they make you guard. Or not the entire 30 seconds. But I'm, what I mean by that is you have to pick up and be, uh, be aware the first four or five seconds into the clock, or Alabama's going to pull one on you with 24 on the, on the shot clock. Same thing, you know, in North Carolina, we talk about their secondary break and getting up the floor. It puts pressure on you in the first 10 seconds. Uh, Alabama's the same way. I mean, Alabama is right at you in transition. They were getting to the middle of the floor, uh, kicking out for threes, and Kentucky was just kind of in no man's land. They could do nothing about it. And once that game started last night, there was no adjustments I don't think Cal could have made. I just think that it, it was what it was, and you just kind of go to practice today and hope you can get better before you have to go down there in two weeks because uh, I don't know. Like that was just uh, – that was a not to forget for sure. But this is a team, Derek, that you know I come out and was talking that I, I think that their work, they were working their way back to an NCAA tournament bid. Obviously last night takes that a step back. Had they lost that game in a com- in competitive fashion, you'd feel much better about it. Like – Alabama scored 85. If Kentucky could have kept up and got to 78, 79, or 80 and been competitive, I would have felt a, t- a lot better about this Kentucky team today than what I do right now. Uh, there's still going to be opportunities, but they got to start winning some games. Like, I mean, yeah, we said a three-game yeah, – they had a three-game win streak, now they lost a game. But, like I said earlier, they can't lose another one Saturday. This needs to be win three or win four, win five, lose one, win four more, lose one. It can't be – two-game losing streaks littered throughout the second half of the schedule. I'll totally agree with you. Um, is there anything else you want to add on basketball? Uh, I'm interested in seeing what happens when Terrence Clark returns. I just want to see how that fits. And then Lance Ware, you know, you and I have talked a lot over the last week or so about now that Keon's back in the fold and everybody's kind of contributing, who's the who's the odd man out? And last night it was Lance. And we'll have to kind of watch that moving forward. Jacob Toppin didn't play a ton at Florida, but he played a lot last night. So I think Cal's literally trying to do anything he can right now. He's trying to plug anybody he can to try to get a spark. Um, 
but I don't know. I, I want to see what happens Saturday. I want to see how they respond. If there are, it's another poor performance, then I think that the panic button should just about be locked in for the rest of the season because this team is just going to be having to dig out. I just don't know how much more holes they can dig out of. I mean, they're 4-7 and seven right now. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's two big road games coming up. And we've talked about the environment and things like that. And we'll see. I mean, that's the story of this team. We'll see. That is, <laughs> we'll see what they look like. That is 100% out. accurate that we'll, we'll see. That's just how it's been the entire season. And then once before we move on, just want to say we, we do send out our condolences and our thoughts and prayers to – Ben Jordan's family, his teammates, his friends, the baseball family, the UK Athletics family, uh, just a, just an awful sad time around UK Athletics right now. It's, it's never easy with anything like that, and I know a lot of people are hurting right now, Derek. Yeah, they absolutely are. Um, you know, Ben Ben was someone I kept up with. I mean, when we first came on the radar. I'll, I'll say this about Ben a little quick story, like. I don't really recall talking to him too many times. Besides, actually, mostly at basketball. I don't remember interviewing. I've covered a lot of UK baseball in my time. But he came on the scene as basically a guy that I remember talking to the coaches when he was still in high school. Like He was not expected to be at Kentucky until he had Tommy John surgery in high school. He was going to be a pretty high draft pick. I can remember the New York Yankees was the team always linked to him that I think probably would have picked him up had he not had that injury. But that was kind of a blessing for UK. It was unfortunate for him that he had that injury, but came to campus redshirted, and he was working his way back into baseball, but but answered the call for John Calipari and the basketball team. Uh, I know he got put on scholarship there for a year, helping them out. And uh, I mean, he got a chance to live out most kids' dreams in the state. I mean, yeah. whether you wanted to play baseball or basketball or football, whatever sport, I mean, the kid got to play too. And uh, I know that community um, that he grew up in was very proud of that. Um, it is horribly sad. I'm friends with some former baseball players or people I talked to that knew him well. And I, I know it's been I mean, devastating for everybody, of course, but my thoughts and prayers are with those guys that I, that I know specifically. And um, really a horrible situation. There's no question about it. So our thoughts and prayers go out to Ben. Uh, last thing I want to bring up before we wrap up tonight's episode is I don't have we have we talked about Wandell since he's officially been in the portal? I really don't. I think we recorded prior to Monday. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's been a lot going on uh, on that front. Um, officially went into the portal Monday. We hinted at that on the mailbag episode that it was going to be coming. He uh, announced on Twitter that he'd be leaving Nebraska, and he ended up in the portal the same day. So once he got into the portal, any team was free to contact him. Trying to be careful with how I word some of this stuff. Um, basically, and I've told I told you the backstory. Maybe there will get to a point where once it's all said and done, I'll explain what led to this because I think there's going to be some people that are mad once they see the news that happened tonight. But um, I have felt pretty strongly that him entering the portal to leave Nebraska was going to lead to him going to going to Kentucky. I felt pretty good about that. Part of me still does, but kind of an update to today. And I know some other websites reported it, but I'll use the one that's that's public and that's out there and uh, that's not a VIP. It's from Steve Wolfong, who uh, is our national writer. He was the one who put up the story on Saturday saying that he was 95% gone from, the, from Nebraska. Well, basically the story now is instead of it looking like he was going to be basically a lock for Kentucky, it's kind of 50-50 with Kentucky and Purdue. And um, I, I guess the point I'll make is it's – I get fans. I mean, I'm sure there was a segment of the fans who were, who thought it was going to be uh, too good to be true anyway with Kentucky or that they were going to take the approach that they were just going to wait and see whatever happened because <laughs> of what happened Wondell's first time. So I totally understand that. Um, as it stands right now, I, I still have a source that feels good where Kentucky stands, it, it might be going against kind of the grain right now. And, and I should make the note, no one has said that he is going to Purdue or he is going somewhere else. I know there are a couple other schools. Um, they were not mentioned in, in Steve's story, but I can tell you two schools that I, I know have reached out and have at least inquired interest is uh, Alabama and Oklahoma. Mm. So those are some big schools. Now that would go against what he said his reason for transferring was, and that was to be closer to home to his mother, 
who was ill and had been hospitalized with COVID, has MS, things like that. So that would be going against that. So I guess in terms of a Wednesday night update, there is some good reporting on this, like everything that's out there. I'm still trying to figure out kind of where I think it it is. Part of me today thought it was maybe a little bit of a smoke screen. I've since seen some other things that gives me doubts that it's a smoke screen. But, again, it's not done one way or the other, I guess I would say at this point. And because of that, I could see it being a negative thing just because it felt so sure. Like I'll say this. I covered his high school recruitment. From what I heard, I felt like this time around it was much more of a lock. There was a part of me, even when he committed to Kentucky, and I think I remember telling my brother this, like something just always seemed like maybe – I felt like a lot of his comments were always manufactured, and he said what he felt like he was supposed to say. He did. That was the vibe I got from him in high school. He did. And from what I had heard and some things that have happened – I will say I'll, I'll, it would be uh, it would be a pretty big blow because I think almost everybody consensus. <laughs> and we should also Wondell. we should also say too that back when he was committed to Kentucky, that was back when Louisville was going through their coaching search, and Jeff Brom was right there, and he was specifically asked about Brom at Louisville in the match. Mm-hmm. If you remember when he was still committed to Kentucky, I think it was an interview with Hey Kentucky when that was still a thing. Oh, was, yeah. But uh, this would be this this would be a blow. Uh, you and I have talked about Wandell possibly coming home for a while now. Like we we talked about this months ago that just given the climate in college football, the situation at Nebraska, the transfer portal rule, me and you were kind of just throwing some stuff out there one night on the phone, just talking, saying that what Kentucky needs is Wandell to come back. <laughs> and we were kind of I don't know if we I don't know if we were really serious or not, but then it kind of presented itself and you could kind of look there in December and kind of start to think, okay, maybe there's a path for him to go to the portal. And then soon as he did leading up to it, Derek, I mean, it was instant. I mean, Kentucky was considered the favorite. I mean, it's been the favorite for the last few days. Yeah, they have been. And um, again, I think it's important to point out that it's, it's not like he's a done deal to Nebraska. Um, or Purdue. Or yeah, sorry, Purdue. Yeah. Of course, he's not done deal to Nebraska now. <laughs> but um, it was it's a it's something to follow, I guess. I, I don't know. I had heard. Now I know some some people were reporting that he was he was going to announce for Kentucky today. Yeah. I I never heard that. That was not which I don't I don't have a reason to doubt that. But what I would what I had heard it could take. I mean, up to next Monday, and this was back when everything looked great for Kentucky. I had heard last night that it could happen today, but. Like I said, it it was somebody else had heard the same thing, but it wasn't enough to where I've written anything to prepare for it. Exactly. Because I was going, you know, you had been hearing that it could take a little bit longer, especially just going into the portal two days ago. Right. I mean, it's it, it's one of those thinking, things. Yeah, I was thinking Friday or Monday. I just didn't think he'd do it over the weekend. This is definitely so. one that Liam Cohen, Mark Stoops, Vince Merrow, if they can get it done – it significantly changes the thought process around that offense next year, given that Chris Rodriguez is confirmed coming back. You've got some veterans on the offensive line that you thought was kind of going to be a rebuilding project there. Uh, you got Josh Ali back. you got a really good tight, tight ends coming back. The defense has pieces. It, it significantly – Kentucky has some positive buzz right now. If Wondell Robinson commits to Kentucky and transfers to Eric, it, that buzz goes through the roof. It does. I mean, you have to have a stomach for this kind of thing, like <laughs> recruiting. I mean, I don't blame people at all who are just like, all right, I'll I'll turn on my TV for the first game of the year and find out who's on the team or not. <laughs> Some people don't <laughs> keep up with it, but recruiting can definitely be a lot of fun to follow. Um, I, you still take them no matter what. I mean, it's it's whatever. If it's a roller coaster ride to get there, like it appears it's going to be, I still think. Um, no matter what people are feeling right now, if he commits to Kentucky, they're going to change their mind on, on it or whatever. And I, I get it. Like, I got texts from people who aren't happy about it. And I, I understand it totally. But, you know, he's a good player. I mean, I, the only thing I would say is I felt like it had to be expected that almost every single team in the country was at least going to, like, check up on him to see kind of what he was feeling. Because it's – you're not going to find – unless you're an elite, elite team, you're not going to find a high school kid like this coming out of the portal. And you can get a guy who's been in college for two years and can come in and help your program immediately. I mean, it would be a, a monster get for Kentucky. I mean, he's a day-one starter. He shows up, and he's probably your best player on offense, him or Rodriguez. So, UK's still working it. They're still trying to get it done. Um, I guess what I would conclude with is 
and I guess I believe this now, uh, no decision's been made yet. Again, I don't – I'm careful to use the word smokescreen because I thought for a time that might have been what it was, but I, I can't say that for sure. I mean, I think there's probably some legitimate interest in Purdue. But um, we'll see. I mean, we'll definitely have you updated. Uh, it's, it's, it's a twist, no question about it. It's a twist from where we were even this morning when things started. Yeah. But uh, we'll, we'll just have to follow along with it. And uh has some other recruiting things I'll talk about. I won't get to it this episode. We'll have a chance for it to get on the message boards first. Nothing nothing imminent or happening in terms of a commitment right now, but just some things to look for down the road, mainly for next year's class. Yeah. So that's kind of where things stand for now. But yeah, we, uh, uh, we felt pretty good about Wandell to Kentucky a couple of days ago, didn't we? Yeah, we, we did. I mean, that's what, we might get some people angry at us for uh, – Well – I think the thing that people need to understand who – and it's not to try to sound condescending, but like when when you talk to people who are in the know and – like things are very rarely fluid, I guess I would say. Like you can report things and they can be true at the time and they could still change. Like we're talking about kids and like making decisions. Like it just – it's part of it. Like things happen. So I don't think anyone – and I don't feel like what I've been told has been wrong either. Um I just think maybe some things have changed, and once it came right down to it, maybe he wasn't quite 100% sure like we thought he was. So, again, but nothing's been finalized yet, so that's important to point out. Like, this is not a done deal either way. So we could still have a have an episode here soon, Sean, where we're talking about what his commitment means to Kentucky. I mean, we, we just got to wait and see. We were actually pretty confident two days ago, like a lot of people, Derek, that we actually considered pre-recording the episode talking <laughs> about his commitment, which we have not done. I should we should make put that out there. We have not pre-recorded anything, but we did. It's something that we mentioned that we're like you know this this is how confident we kind of feel on on this day. But there's still, I mean, there's still a chance. Obviously, it could it could be Kentucky. There's still a chance it could be could be, could be Purdue. Uh, another school could pop up. I mean, we we don't know. We're still uh, still letting this thing play out. But as it plays out, we'll both be here to update you. Derek's locked in on this thing, following it a lot. A lot better than I'm following it right now. Uh, I didn't even get a chance to look at it until we got on to the on the podcast tonight. But Wondell will be a huge get for whoever gets him. Derek, it's a big time talent that Kentucky Kentucky desperately needs, in my opinion. I agree with you. <laughs> he's a he's a he would be more of a playmaker. Like you just get into a spot where Josh Ali is not the number one anymore, and I think that's a good thing, especially some of those guys are bringing it's Josh in. Josh Ali too. Does. It would be a it'd be a big get, so we'll be following it, tracking it. We promise you whenever it comes out, whichever way, we will have some analysis on it. We will. And hopefully you continue following the Butcher's Pub. Two locations, one in Pineville, Kentucky, one in Williamsburg, Kentucky. They're back to normal hours. Uh Monday through Saturday. You can find all that information on the butcherspub.com or you can visit uh the Butcher's Pub Pineville and the Butchers of Williamsburg, those two Facebook pages. But we'll be back with another episode of Kentucky Daily, updating you on whatever happens with Wondell Robinson and uh, around UK athletics. He's Derek Terry. I'm Sean Smith. We'll catch you next time. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran. Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.